Hello, my name is Jacob Fenston. Welcome to this podcast, produced by the International Monetary Fund. Over the past 10 years, more and more countries in sub-Saharan Africa have been adopting social safety nets to help their poorest citizens. Across the region, 120 of these programs have been unveiled over the past decade, according to the World Bank. Social safety net programs can range from cash transfers, often contingent on parents keeping children in school or getting health care, to public works programs aimed at building infrastructure and boosting employment. Economists see social safety nets as an important way to combat poverty, helping people meet immediate needs while in the longer term enabling them to climb out of poverty. David Cody is with the IMF's Fiscal Affairs Department, and Lynn Sherburn-Benz is Sector Manager for Social Protection in Africa for the World Bank. Sherburn-Benz says social safety nets are becoming more important, in part because of the recent series of global and regional crises. There's been a global increase in crises overall, and Africa certainly has been part of that. Um, And there's also, of course, climate change coming in. But there's also um, been very strong growth in much of Africa, and not all elements of the population have been benefiting from that. So there's often not been commensurate reductions in poverty. On the first issue on crises, the triple crisis of food, fertilizer, and fuel in 2008 was followed in 2011 by a drought in East Africa, which then was subsequently followed by a drought in West Africa. And I think um, these have all played a role in increasing the awareness of the need for social protection systems, as well as safety nets in the African continent context, as well as demonstrating that those countries that do have safety nets in place have been much more able to respond quickly to these crises. I think that these crises also have helped government to realize that safety nets are not just a handout, but that they are, in fact, very important investments to be making. They can cushion, for example, against malnutrition by enabling uh, households to continue, uh, maintain their consumption levels, which, in addition to alleviating the suffering caused by malnutrition immediately, malnutrition itself can reduce the future cognitive abilities of infants. It can reduce the learning ability of younger children, as well as reducing the productivity of adults as well. So making Making an investment in safety nets helps um, to not have those kinds of bad, severe, long-term impacts on productivity. So I think the issue that we really need to look at is working with countries to make sure that they understand the importance of safety nets for investing in the futures and really not um, having them be seen as just handouts that make people dependent on aid. To what extent can countries in sub-Saharan Africa afford social safety net programs and how can those programs be paid for? We have all heard at various points in time people argue that some countries can't afford to have a safety net, that they need to put their money into areas where there's investment and there's growth in the future. It is very important that any safety net is fiscally sustainable. If it's not fiscally sustainable, it will not be able to exist for very long. It will definitely become a worse program over time. So that's very much true. I think I would argue that the opposite is actually true in terms of not being affordable. Low-income countries included, but all all countries, all middle and low-income countries, they cannot afford not to have social safety nets. First and foremost, when you have structural reforms, and structural reforms are really, really needed in many low-income countries to generate growth. And without growth, you will not get poverty reduction in a sustained way. These structural reforms often have an unintended effect 
in terms of increasing poverty in the short run. Let me give you an example. If we take energy sector, energy sector is crucial for sustaining growth in developing countries. A key component of energy sector reforms is increasing tariffs, say for electricity, or, in, or passing on the prices of fuel price increases to the domestic consumers. Although they're, they're very good for sectoral reform, very good for long-term growth, they're not very good for short-term poverty. And they're not very good for in terms of making sure that low-income people have access to affordable energy. Safety nets break this link between structural reform, growth, and the short-term adverse impact on poverty. Uh, also, what you see in a lot of these countries is they're spending huge amounts of money protecting the population from shocks through untargeted measures. For example, not passing on the price of higher energy costs to consumers. Most of that benefit goes to the highest income groups. 80% going to the top 40% of the, of the richest part, 40% of the population. These are very expensive ways of protecting the poor. These countries cannot afford those ways of doing it. A much better way is to have a, an effectively targeted, well-designed safety net program. Not all safety net programs are equal. Um, some are more effective than others. What have been some innovations in making these programs work better? There are a number of exciting innovations, actually, in, in the Africa region right now. Some that have been drawn from other regions and fine-tuned to the African context, and others that are more homegrown in Africa. Uh, I'm thinking of a case of Tanzania, actually, where we, there's a safety net program that really has used community-based targeting, where the community sits down and they jointly identify who in the community is the poorest. Um, then that is combined at the district level with a proxy means test, which is very helpful at um, identifying errors of inclusion, so people that perhaps would not qualify that have been included. Then those results are sent back to the community, and they then sit down and discuss, well, the proxy means test said these people should be in and these people should be out, um, and they come up. Uh, ultimately with a consensus. And, and in the initial phases, the community-based targeting was actually found to be more effective than the proxy means testing. So, you know, the government's gone back and revised the proxy means test. But it's a very interesting way to get consensus at the local level in terms of who really are the deserving people and would benefit the most from these programs. So in the area of targeting, that's something that's been very important. Payment systems is something where we're now seeing lots and lots of innovation. Kenya is one very in interesting example right now where both the use of technology as well as the youth of the private sector is really helping to make much more efficient, effective, and transparent payment systems. And those are using smart cards with bio biometrics on it in villages where there is no um, electricity. Uh, solar panels are being installed for the local shopkeeper who is doing some of the payments, and then they're also able to use that to then help people charge cell phones. So it's a very, very interesting combination of private sector and technology on the payment system side. Same on the monitoring and evaluation side. There's um, some countries that are looking and using Google Maps, where actually people can take pictures of whatever is being done and upload them, and then anybody globally can have access to see what's going on in this little village. People can use that to monitor whether money is being spent appropriately. So there are a number of these quite exciting innovations that are going on in Africa that really is letting them skip over several generations of uh, technology that, that have been used. But there's still a long way to go. There are some, there are some shining spots, and, and we're doing a fair amount of South-South learning so countries can learn from each other. But there are all kinds of very interesting things going on in Africa. Um, and are there challenges in terms of um, setting up effective programs? 
There are huge challenges, very huge challenges. There are challenges of capacities. There are challenges, especially in the use of technology in some areas. Um, some countries are very well connected uh, technologically with cell phones, et cetera, but some of the poorest regions often don't have access to that. Um, there are challenges actually even among donor partners. There are lots of fragmented programs. There are NGOs doing things, donors doing things, and it's absolutely critical to try to bring together under an umbrella program of social protection that is owned by the government and that everybody is jointly working towards. Uh, yes, I think um, there have been many innovations in Africa. Africa is learning very rapidly from programs we've seen in other countries. Uh, the it's true the design of these programs, the selection of these programs is, is very important. And as you rightly pointed out, capacity is key. That The design of any of these programs must match the implementation capacity of these countries. Otherwise, the best designed program in the world is no good unless it's implemented it properly. And what you're seeing, I think, in sub-Saharan Africa is a lot of pilots where they're building up the capacity to run these programs and to run them effectively while working with the programs they have right now, making the best out of them, getting improvements out of them, and integrating them. There are many programs out there with very small amount of money and a lot of duplication in costs. So a, a lot can be done in a short time in improving what, what exists exists in these countries, while at the same time we move towards some better designed, if more difficult, programs. I'll ask one last question. Um, what do you think the future of uh, social safety nets looks like in sub-Saharan Africa as countries become more wealthy? Does it change the needs of, of social safety nets in particular countries? Um, I think that's a very pertinent question for us now in sub-Saharan Africa, where we have at least 30 countries that are either have discovered oil or natural gas or are in the process of um, exploiting these resources. So I think the amount of money that's going to be coming into governments from these resources in the future is going to be quite large. And from that perspective, I think how governments are able to use those resources to benefit the entire population, and especially the poor, so that they can develop a pattern of inclusive growth is going to be absolutely critical. And yes, that means very strong investments in health, very strong investments in education, in infrastructure in rural areas, but it also means strong investment in social protection programs. So I think there is both going to be a need, but especially in terms of uh, ensuring that there is not a huge rise in inequality in countries and that there is shared and inclusive growth with strong reductions in poverty. For sure. I mean, all countries need safety nets. Although the nature of poverty may differ across countries and although the types of risks people face differ across countries and individuals, they all need safety nets to protect them. Advanced countries have huge safety nets. The biggest expenditures on safety nets, social protection systems, is in the rich advanced countries. Low-income countries are looking to them and seeing, we, we think we should need some of these programs. But the developed countries themselves face challenges with their safety nets. It's important that in designing the safety nets you think you want in the future, you don't make the same mistakes that we made maybe in the past. That was the IMF's David Cody and the World Bank's Lynn Sherburn-Benz on the increasing need of social safety nets in sub-Saharan Africa. For more podcasts, visit us online at www.imf.org slash podcasts.